In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, I've been, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And my sermon topic this morning is your calling to the next level. Your calling to the next level. Are you ready to step up to your next level? Now, we've been looking through the book of Ephesians the last couple of weeks. You know that. Those of you who haven't been here, we've been reading through Ephesians in the last two weeks. And we're trusting God to read through the book of Ephesians for three weeks trying to read through the whole book every day and just get saturated by the book. This one incredible book that Paul the Apostle wrote. Um, now Paul was one incredible, as we've seen through this last couple of weeks, he was one incredible man. He was just not, not just a normal man, he was a man of God, a true man of God. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus on the donkey. He was riding and and Jesus appeared to him, a bright light, he fell from the donkey, he got blind from the glory of God. I mean, he met Jesus face to face. Then later on in his walk, as a, as a Christian, as an apostle of God, as a, as a true evangelist and a missionary, uh, God took him to the third heaven, where we, he experienced something that he couldn't utter, he couldn't speak about. So God took him there and he saw things there that, that he, it was so amazing that he couldn't utter the words of how to describe that incredible, incredible sights he saw. And I think if we look at his, his writing, personally, I think all of his revelations, all of his teachings, all of his writings came from what he saw and how he saw the glory and the presence of God. He saw things that we haven't, we don't know yet. We will probably see that one day. Now, reading through the book that Paul wrote, but specifically Ephesians, all the books, if you read through all these books, we can see his passion. But he had one true passion. His passion was a passion for a victorious church. He wanted to see a church as victorious. He wanted to see a church that's not just, hey, we have fun on a Sunday and yeah, it's amazing, but a church that's advancing. A church that's victorious in everything and, and step people up to a place where they're victorious in their own lives. That's what, that was Paul's amazing passion and his heart's cry. But if you've been here for the last couple of, two, a couple of weeks, well, two Sundays, you've been hearing the following couple um, of things. Through knowing God, our eyes have been enlightened. Our eyes of our understanding, as the scripture says, has been enlightened so that we can see what we are called to as believers. Our eyes have been enlightened. See, God has called us into more than just a belief system that's consistent and in line with scriptures. No, He has called us into spending time with Him in an encounter. He has called us so much more into just spending time in church and and speaking about the same things and, and amazing people. No, he's called us into a place where we encounter him on a daily basis. You see, living a life where we not just read and meditate on amazing life-giving scriptures, but where we experience and encounter the love and the power of God. See, God has called us into an encounter with him. I'm going to say that over and over. He has called you into an encounter with him daily. That is his heart's cry. He wants you to encounter him. Not just a one-time encounter, an everyday relational encounter with the Father. That is what God called us into. See, God has called us into, into, into so much more than we actually can realize. 
He wants to encounter you with His love every day. He wants to show you how He sees you, how He feels about you, how he, how he is excited about the things that you are excited about. He truly is. Now before I conclude our three weeks on Ephesians, maybe, maybe I'll do another week. We'll see next uh, how, what God does this week. But, but we plan three weeks. But before I, I've, I finish this or go on, I want to give you again a bit of a backdrop on where Paul actually, from where did he write this book of Ephesians? You see, Paul visited a number of churches in the Old Testament. A number of cities, a number of churches. He actually just visited people and he reached out, he preached, he evangelized, and he started something. And every time he started something, when he left, something amazing happened. See, in Ephesians was, or Ephesus as a town was one of those cities he, he visited, but he stayed there for three months. For three months, he preached, he reached out, he discipled, and he made the people there as passionate about the gospel, about the gospel of Jesus, as he was. Now, in the city of Ephesus, they experienced probably one of the greatest revivals in all of the New Testament, if you read about it. It was one of the greatest revivals that we can read about. Wow, that was truly a revival. In the city, they, um, uh, in, in the city where this is exactly, sorry, this is the city where he left Timothy, his son in the Lord, to be an apostle over that church. And that's where the two books of 1 and 2 Timothy came from, where he encouraged Timothy as he was leading the church of Ephesus. Now, Paul, when Paul arrived in Ephesus, the occult, the occult, witchcraft, all those kind of weird stuff, was the biggest belief system in that city. It ruled the city. But through Paul's ministry, Ephesus became such a powerful and victorious church. They even had groups of people in the church that went around and burned the books and all the paraphernalia that the occult belief system had. Just think about that. They're just raiding houses, burning books, I mean, breaking things, all the idols that the occult has been governing over. So powerful was that church, so victorious, so passionate. They were advancing the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus to, to such a degree. It was incredible. Now, looking at this book, Paul wrote, Ephesus is the only book and the only people that never had a rebuke or a correction from Paul. Why? Because they were a church on fire without compromise. They were so on fire, there was no compromise. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. We're going to burn and destroy and everything, but we're going we're gonna, to, the only belief system in this city is going to be Christ and Christian faith. You see, the Corinth church, they, were, they had power of God too, but they compromised and they were letting sin in they were, what's the word? They were excusing a lot of sin whilst still serving God. And that's why Paul had to rebuke them. If you went to the Galatian church, Paul said, who bewitched you? You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Why? Because they were going back to the law while professing and confessing that they're free in Christ. So each of these places had a word of rebuke, but not Ephesus. Not Ephesus. They were on fire without compromise. So what do we as believers in the church learn from this book? What do we learn? 
As we're working through it, what do we actually learn from him? You see, Paul is writing to a church who's in the middle of revival with no compromise, but he wants to take them to another level. It's a church in revival. They have no compromise. They're passionate. They love God. They're just going at it. But he says, okay, how do I take you now to the next level? See, it's something good in our lives. It's a good question to ask. If I'm on fire for God, I've been serving God for so long, I've been doing this, how do I go to the next level? See, that's why Paul shared these two personal prayers in the book of Ephesians. His own personal prayers. He wanted to show them how he prays for them and how they should pray. And if you look within these prayers and the scriptures, you will find that keys that will take you to that next level. Now the book of Ephesians can roughly be divided into two sections. Two. Ephesians 1 to 3 looked at the theological, the positional, the doctrinal truths that he was speaking about. He was telling them, this is who you are in God. This is your identity. You've been filled with God. You've been empowered by God. Your eyes have been enlightened. You need to see, this is the, the truth of, the, of what you are in Christ. You remember that? And then he gets to Ephesians 4 to 6. And he speaks about the practical the experimental, the outworking of Christ. Like, how do I walk this out in a practical way? Now you know who you are. You know what God has given you. You know what you are filled with to the fullness of Christ. Now, how do you walk this out on a day-to-day basis? You see, in Acts 9, you can show you the first scripture. In Acts 9, verse 5 to 6, Paul actually met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he, this the following happened. Verse 5, he says, And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Verse 6, So he, he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So Paul's conversion, at his conversion, at the greatest moment of his life, he asked two questions. Two questions. One, First question was doctrinal. Who are you, Lord? Who, who, is, who are you? Second question was practical. So what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You see, it's not enough to merely learn more about God like we said last week. See, the knowledge has to be translated into a practical action of our, into our everyday lives. How do we walk this out practical? I can know the Bible inside out. I can quote scriptures. I can be on fire, but if I don't walk out that what I know, it's in vain. It won't work just to try and live for God. Lord, I just want to live for you. See, we need to know him intimately before we can accurately represent him to a lost world. We need to know him. See, the theological and the practical have to be merged. And that is exactly what Paul did in Ephesians. You have to take that, that amazing knowledge of, wow, my eyes has been opened. But now, okay, Lord, this is what we're going to do. So that's what he did with the Ephesian church. They were passionate. They were running rampant. They were, I mean, they were preaching. But how do they walk it out 
by teaching others and walk it out in a practical way on a weekly basis, on an everyday basis. Paul starts the practical side of Ephesians with Ephesians 4. And I'm going to look at two scriptures. Ephesians 4, one, one or two scriptures in Ephesians 4, and then I'm going to finish with one scripture in Ephesians 5. So Ephesians 4 verse 1 says the following, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, that is quite a mouthful. It's only a scripture, but if, you, if we dissect that, there's so much in it. See, Paul, in the first three chapters of this letter, described the glorious things that is ours in Christ. Look at all the amazing things that God has given us. But at the end of Ephesians 3, he prayed for a revelation of these truths. Why? Because he wanted the fullness of God settle in our hearts. He wanted people to get a revelation of this truth. And then he starts. Now, said, now, verse 1, chapter 4. Now, remember to not forget your calling. Remember not to forget your calling. Now, do you know all these amazing things? Now I need to tell you that you are called. Now, I love this story. It's actually a true story of King Henry III. It says, well, I'm going to read it to you because I'm not going to remember this. <laughs> it says, in the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria grew tired of, of palace life and the pressures of being a, a ruler or a king. He made a request to Prior Richard at the local monastery asking to be accepted as a monk to spend the rest of his life in the monastery. Think about it, a king saying that. Your Majesty, Prior Richard said, do you understand that the pledge here is the one of obedience? That will be hard because you have been a king. I understand, said Henry. The rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Then Prior Henry said, Then I will tell you what to do. He says, Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in a place where God has put you. When King Henry died, a statement was written, The king learned to rule by being obedient. When we, try, when we tire of our roles and our responsibilities, it helps to remember God's plan. God has planted us in a certain place and told us to be a good accountant, a teacher, a mother, a father, a, a, a business owner. Yeah. See, we are called to do something. You are called to do something. Yeah. But God is looking for faithfulness in that calling. What is your, what is your calling? Now in this first verse, He doesn't just tell us to remember they have a calling. He says he begs them. He urges them to live it. Live this thing. You've got a calling. Live it. Now I believe Paul is talking about two callings here. Not just one. Two. I'm going to step it out or step it through for you. Firstly, he spoke about our calling as Christians and that we need to come alive in Christ. What is your calling as a believer? What is your calling as a believer? He says, I beg you to lead. Or I urge you to walk in a manner. But he says in a difference, I beg you to lead or live a life worthy of your calling. 
in different scriptures, in different translations, says, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. See, God calls us to, to come alive in the knowledge of Him, to come alive in a place of intimacy with the Father. See, that's why Paul was trying to explain and give revelation on, on this in the first three chapters. He was trying to explain this so that they understand who they are, so that they will come alive in who they are. So as he comes to this fourth chapter, he beseeches, actually the scriptures that says, I beg you, I beseech you, actually New King James says, I beseech you. It's a weird word. But it says so much. I, it says, I urge you, I earnestly beg you not to miss this. And secondly, so many of us today are asking God, Lord, can you just show me my true calling in life? How many of you prayed that prayer before? Can you just show me, Lord, what is my true calling in life? What should I do, Lord? What am I really called for? I've worked with young people so many, so many years, and, and every time I sit with, with some of them for the first time, I ask them, so what have God called you for? And all of them is like, I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure that one out. This is a good question to start with in so many things in our lives. So it's a great question, but it's an intense thing to walk it out with God. To really know, what am I truly called for, Lord? What have you called me for? Asking the same question, praying through it, seeking the scriptures. I truly believe we, we all have a unique calling in life. You all, every one of us, everyone in this town, everyone in this country, every person in the world has a true unique calling that God has given them just as unique as your fingerprint. Now the question for so many is, how? How do I find this out? How do I figure this out? How do I know and live my calling or walk worthy to it? Walk worthy to the calling. The word they walk is to live it. To truly live in a manner worthy to my calling. Now verse 2, Paul already gives four measurements. How to walk worthy as your call as a believer. First one. Four things that he already gave. Show us the next scripture. He says... With all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Four things. Four very specific. So you as a believer, how can I step through as a believer and really live my calling as a believer? Four basic things he gave them to say you need to live these four things. Firstly, humility. You need to be humble. No matter what your gift or place in the body of Christ is. We are called to be humble. We are called to a place of humility. Now, let me just be honest. This is a tough one for some people. Because sometimes you've got a strong gift. Sometimes you've got a strong prophetic gift, or strong preaching, or teaching, or whatever gift, and you want to be on stage. Because I want to live this gift out. But God says, firstly, be humble. Even in the workplace, not even in ministry. 
We need to be humble first. Because Jesus was humble. He didn't shout. He keeps like, I am the healer. (laughs) You can come here for healing. You can go to... No, he just went around, loved people, and did miracles. Secondly, he spoke about gentleness. See, as we're part of the church family and body, we will deal and work together with others. You're not alone. We want to work together. That's why we call it a church family. Now, to be gentle is to place someone before you. To say, rather you, let me bless you first. Let's go first. Can I make you some coffee? Can I, can I do something to bless others in this place? And that's a place of gentleness to honor others. That's a place of gentleness. Rather be gentle than sometimes, man, I just feel the presence of God so strong on me. I would bulldoze my way through everyone because this is what... No, God says be gentle in your gift. Be gentle in who you are. Because His Spirit is gentle. Remember I spoke last week about the Holy Spirit is like a gentleman. Paul said to them, be gentle in how you work with others in a spiritual family. Number three, he spoke about patience. Oh goodness, this is a tough one. Let's be honest. In church life or in life, we always want to come out on top and quickly. I want to be on top. And I want to be there now. (laughs) But see, when we wait patiently on the Lord, when we wait patiently on the Lord's timing, He promotes us. And then He puts us on stage wherever you need to be on stage. Or you need to be in a place where you can speak or minister or be in ministry. See, as you wait upon the Lord, you get strength. Remember that scripture? Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Patience bring strength so Paul said I want to encourage you to be patient be patient with others be patient in your gift be patient in your call other Bible translations speak about a patient endurance in his call for you a patient endurance in your call and then number four he speaks about bearing with one another in love Bearing with one another in love. Now, not all people get along. <laughs> let me just, let me just. He said, he said, yeah, didn't he use the word bearing with one another for a reason? Yeah. So it's not, oh, I need to bear this out. Oh, it's like, oh, I'm just bearing this. He just said, just go through with one another in, just walk through with one another. No, he said, bearing with one another in love. Now, sometimes in a kingdom and in life, we don't get along with certain people. That's fine. People differ. Thank God for that. To think of we had everybody had the same personality, everybody had the same likings. Boring world. Eh? We are different. That's amazing. But see, but Paul said it's so important for the body to work hard at it to bear with one another. To work at it to bear with one another. To love everyone in church, no matter if they irritate you or not. There's going to be irritations in your workplace, in church, wherever we go. But when you reach out to someone that actually irritates you, <laughs> when you have to speak and work 
It's amazing how God turns your heart from irritation to love. It's incredible. I've been there with none of you, don't worry. <laughs> but it's amazing how when you work with young people, you get some of them that irritate you because they're still growing socially. Their social skills are growing and they're just irritating. But as I get to love them and just love them and love them, my heart just changed. And I can bear with them in love. It's amazing. You see, the King James Version speaks about this bearing. It speaks out that I might suffer to perfection. Isn't that amazing? That I might suffer to perfection. Bearing with one another. Four things he spoke. And then he comes to verse 3, which actually is a fifth thing that binds it all together. It says the following. Make every effort to keep yourself unified in the Spirit, binding yourself together in peace. He says, finally, make every effort. It's not just, and then try maybe to keep yourself. No, no, he said, make every effort. Do anything you can. Do, I mean, by the best you, make every effort to stay in unity in the Spirit. See, Paul said that part of a Christian calling is to make every effort to stay. Now, listen quickly. He said there, make every effort to keep. So what does that word keep mean? It means that it's already there. You have it. That in Christ, we already have unity. Now keep that unity. He doesn't say, make every effort to cause or to get that unity. The unity is there already. Now keep it. Stay in it. Make effort with it. To stay out of offense. To stay in unity. What's the enemy's number one thing? He wants to get you out of peace, out of unity. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you might, might have picked up on people get offended with each other. Churches get offended with each other. <laughs> it's one of those things. But see, the enemy knows that. And he knows the power that he has when he destroys unity. That's why I will never speak bad about a church, any other church. Although I disagree with them, we are called to love them. We are called to take hands in unity and make a difference in this town. Now let's look at our personal calling and then I want to pull it all together. So we spoke about first calling, spoke about our calling as a believer. That God has called us to love others, to be a believer, to be a Christian. That's a calling. And the day you said yes to Jesus, you stepped into that calling to live for Him. Now our second calling is our normal calling. What do you do? What's your day-to-day -day job? What's your thing that you do? Now, we've seen about the story about King Henry. Is that God gave us each a specific calling apart from your calling as a believer. Now, we need to understand that we represent God on earth with our specific gift. Do you know that? If you're a business owner or if you're a teacher or accountant or whatever you are, you represent the Father by doing what you're doing. So it's intertwined. Your calling as a believer and your calling of what you're just doing every week and every day, how you earn your keep. It's intertwined. So 
Number one, I'm going to give you two things that I feel. How can I find my true calling in life? How do I find my true calling? Number one is to know your gifts and skills. Do you know it? Do you know what you're gifted at? What you're skilled at? See, God is not calling us to do something He has not gifted and skilled us to do. Think about it. If you are skilled to be a carpenter or a photographer, God's gonna, it's not going to ask you to become a motivational speaker. It's part of our calling linked to our gifting and our skill. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says the following, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. He says, Peter says, you've got a gift, now use it to bless others. So whatever job you do, and whatever calling you're living out, you are a blessing to others. If you see it from angles like, oh, I'm just going to grind it out this week, back in the rat race, and just suffer along to earn my keep. No, no. You're looking at it from a different, from a wrong perspective. God has called you to be a blessing to others. Hey, it's not going to be fun every day. It's not going to be fun to work and work and work and long hours. And, but, but if you look at it from a perspective of, I can be a blessing to someone today. It changes your perspective of what your true calling is. So when we use our gifts, spiritually or physically, we are a blessing to the body of Christ. So many of us have a gift to do something that is so much in line with what God called you to do or to become. Now if you're here this morning and you don't believe you've got a calling, you're believing a lie. It's a lie. Because God doesn't issue a creation without a calling. He doesn't create anything in this world without a calling. Even the smallest bee has got a calling to produce, to do something. Even the smallest plant, the smallest insect, the biggest animal, the greatest human being has got a calling. I want to encourage you to look at what you're good at and skillful at. I want to tell you, your calling might be hooked to that. And that's what I say to some of the young men and young ladies that, that we've been working with. I usually say, I don't know what my calling is. So what you skilled at, your calling might be hooked to that. Because God wants you to enjoy life. And as you skill that, do something that you're good at. Now there might be more than one thing you're good at, to be honest. <laughs> So I'm good at coaching. I'm really good at coaching. And I know, I've, I've, I know what I'm saying and I know where I'm going. I'm, I know where I can take a young person, but I know my true calling is to be a pastor. So it doesn't mean that my calling needs to be dual. It just needs to, God says, I've given you so much skills, now pick. What do you really want to do? Now in ministry, I really try to pick coaching. I tried my best. But God says, no, you're going to be here. This is your true calling. And that's the process you have to walk out. There might be things that, that you're good at, and maybe it's a hobby. But a hobby won't put the bacon on the table. And there will be something else you're skilled at that God can create a skill in your life that will provide. Now, number two... Ask yourself, what moves me? 
Romans 12, verse 6 to 8 says the following. I'm going to read the whole, the, whole, the whole piece. It says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So see, doing things well. Not just doing things. He's given us certain gifts to do things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And then lastly, and if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. See, we are all designed by God to see the needs of this world around us. Did you know that? We are designed to see needs in other people's lives. The mammon of this world and the rat race of our existence have blinded our eyes to see the needs. So I don't have time for all the needs around me. I need to focus on what I need to focus on. See, when we see a need, it does something to us. It brings us to that place of compassion. Like we've preached on in week two or three. One of our values Trusting God to touch this town through a, through a culture of compassion. And a compassion is a gift from the Lord. When you open your heart and say, Lord, I want to see the needs. I'm designed for that. Can you come and show me? See, that's why it's so, so amazing to attend to a need with your gift when you're good at it. I love it when to take a, a young kid and teach them a certain thing, a physical movement. And to see the satisfaction on their face afterwards, it's like, wow, I got it. Or to sit with somebody and speak about a revelation out of the Word, and that revelation drops. And you can see the life comes. I love that. I love a place of transformation, when the gift to bring the transformation is ignited in my life or through my life. See, when you look what moves you, I promise you, your gift and your calling will be right there. Yeah. If you look through what moves me, Lord, what truly moves me, that's where your calling is aligned to. I want to end with this last scripture in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is 8 to 9. So how do we pull this together? For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. I love the scripture. It is so important to understand that our life calling on this earth, our life calling, our doing things every day, it needs to come from our knowing God calling. See, the one will feed the other one. By knowing God, knowing who you are as a believer, being flooded with the fullness of God, will show you the direction of what my true life, my life calling on this earth is. See, the one will flood the other one. But if we're only looking for, Lord, this is what I need to do, and, and what, do I, what job do I need to do, what calling, you are so flooded by the worldly things that you miss what God has called you to be firstly a lover of Him. And when you find Him in that intimate place, He shows you exactly that's what you're called to. And it's not always ministry. Please, 
can't be. We need people in the marketplace that bring the gospel and the good news and a blessing to others. So firstly, is most important, um, the most important one, the first one needs to ignite the second one. Our first calling to be a believer and a Christ follower needs to ignite our second calling to what do we do on earth? What are we called to do? See, the earth around us and things around us are sometimes full of darkness. Our job, the things you do, you see the darkness. We see it. But the good news is that God has given us light. He has given you light. He has flooded you with light, as the scripture says. It says, for this light within you produces. See, the only, our true calling in life is to bring light to a dark world through the passion and the fullness of God. No matter where you are, where you, who you speak to on a weekly basis, what you do, the, the place can be as dark as it can be of sin. The light within you need to flood and produce and change and have an impact. That's why the first calling needs to have an impact on the second calling. We are called firstly to be a believer, to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Then be, keep that unity of the Spirit together. And as you keep it together, the light that within you will flood a dark world and will change people around you. No matter if you are a plumber, you bring light to that situation. You bring light into the house you walk into. You bring light into every relationship, every conversation, every shop you go into, you bring light. Because we are made to produce light. We get the light, and the light within us produces light around us. Does that make sense? See, our God is calling you to step up to the next level and bring light to the workplace to your neighborhood, to your school, to the churches, to whoever you speak to, to your family. We need to live from the light to see our calling. Amen? I want to pray for us this morning. You're welcome just to sit like that. Or you, maybe we can stand together. I want to encourage you this morning that, that Ephesians will not just be a book in your life or something that we've read for the last couple of weeks. We still have a week left, so I'm going to still read this week but that that you know that what what i really believe god telling us this morning that we need to know that there's a next level there's a next level and sometimes the next level is a tough level it's like if i can explain to you quickly before i pray so if i go upstairs where's the stairs here we go so it's maybe there's 10 steps in every season of your life so it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten is one on the next level. So if I'm in 27, I'm on level 27, 28, oh goodness Lord, 29, Lord I feel that new level, next level coming, 30, it's one on the next level. You see, when you get to that next level, it feels like one again. But it's the next level that God is calling us up to. Lord, do I need to start over again? It's like going from primary school to high school. 
Lord, I was just, I was just the man in school here. Now I need, I'm grade eight. Now I start all over again. It's one again on the next level. When you matric, it's like, I am the man. And you go to uni, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm not. But you won on the next level. And I feel that God is calling us to the next level. You personally, we as a church, that's why I'm so excited for, for August. That I believe that God says, it's time for the next level. It's time to practically walk this out in our lives. To say, I need to, with what I know God has given me, I need to step up. I need to walk it out. I need to get more. So Lord, I pray this morning, would you put your hand on your heart? Lord, I pray that as we put our hands on our hearts this morning, Lord, I pray that you ignite something within us that would make us to step up to the next level and not just stay on the place where we are comfortable at. That we will step up. That we will step up. And although it's one again, we know that it's a new level in our lives. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit that you will arrest our hearts this week with what the next level in our lives is. That it will be connected to your calling where God has, where God has called you to be a long time ago. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come and show us this week exactly exactly where we need to go what's the next level what's the next step and are we in line with what you called us to do lord